licensed professional clinical counselor, and I'm also doing an internship at Teen Challenge in alcohol and drug counseling. My name is Steve Gatton, and I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor at True North Counseling in Baxter. Hi, I am Naomi Nelson, and I work for the Log Church in Cross Lake and uh, partner with True North Ranch Ministries to do mental health therapy and equine therapy. Wonderful, thank you. All right, so we're just going to get started with some of the general mental health questions. So we will start off with what is mental health? Um, so I'll take that one. I thought that was a great question because generally we kind of have a pretty good idea of what physical health means, um, but mental health, maybe not so much. So when we think about physical health, um, we know when we've been injured, we know when we've maybe had an accident or when, um, when our body's not quite working the way that it should, um, but we also know what we need to do to kind of take care of it. You know, maybe we exercise, we eat right, uh, we get good sleep, we go to the doctor um, when, when we've had an injury um, or maybe when we have a fever or feeling kind of under the weather. Um, we check in regularly um, to make sure there's nothing kind of hiding under the radar that's going on in our bodies that we're not so familiar with. Um, but what's, what exactly is mental health? Um, so that kind of centers around our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors, um, how we interact with people, and how we function in life. Um, and it can kind of vary uh, on a continuum of healthy to unhealthy. So this question might kind of uh, go off of that one. So how do you get mental health? And is mental health a disease? And if it is a disease, is there a cure? So I'll answer that one. Uh, when we talk about mental health, kind of going off of what Bridget said, uh, let's think of it this way. Everybody has thoughts and everybody has feelings. When the thoughts and the feelings don't work well together, that's when we start to see maybe some conflict inside our mind and mental health starts to go down. When we talk about mental health disorders, which is what we're all trying to help people with, we're talking about how that mental health piece is not working well for us. And so we tend to try to be the doctors to come up with treatment plans on being able to help somebody process through and get back to a place where they're thinking and they're feeling in a healthy way. When I see clients that come in uh, for the first time, they almost always ask me, you know, is this because of my mom having mental health disorders? Is it because my dad has a mental health disorder? My mom has been depressed. Does that mean I'm gonna be depressed? And I think it's, uh, if I can approach it from one of my favorite models, and I'm gonna try to explain this really quickly. It's called the biopsychosocial model. It's biological, psychological, and social. Which means there's always a biological piece that's happening for us. I can remember a, a while back having a client who came in to see me because she had a lot of anxiety. And eventually what we found out is she was allergic to caffeine and caramel color. Now that sucks just because who doesn't like caffeine, <laughs> right? But what we realized is that the anxiety she was feeling is really biological more than anything else. So when she drank her coffee or she drank her Coke, she was having a, a biological reaction to that. So, so there's a biological piece that often comes into play when we talk about mental health, but there's also a social piece. 
So as a marriage and family therapist, that's kind of my gig. That's what I like to do. I like to look at relationships and how uh, relationships might be causing some mental health crises or disorders, but also how mental health plays into relationships as well. We don't live in a bubble. Therefore, when we're struggling emotionally or mentally with our thoughts, relationships probably play into it somehow. So that's what I like to do. The second one is uh, the psychological piece. Or excuse me, the third one is the psychological piece. That's where our thoughts and our feelings play a big role. Uh, in behavioral psychology or in cognitive behavioral ther therapy, what we're working on is recognizing that our thoughts added with our feelings direct our behavior, right? So if I think a spider is going to bite me and I'm afraid of spiders, then I'm probably gonna run when I see a spider. Now, I don't, like, I, I don't mind spiders. Uh, bears are a different story. <laughs> but I've had an experience with a bear before, right? Chasing me on my bike. So therefore, my thoughts and my feelings are different because my experience is different than maybe some of you, right? I will go hunt a bear, but, but that's about it. Otherwise, I don't like bears, okay? Um, so when we're talking about whether it's a disease or not, that's a really complicated question because there are mental health disorders that can be and that do have a disease component to them or what we call neurological. There are, there are certain disorders that we look at as very neurological, which means something with the wiring in the brain is happening. And so we need to take a look at that too, not just talk therapy, but we probably have to do something a little bit more as well. As far as uh, care goes, that's what talk therapy is all about. How do we change the way that we think and how do we regulate the way that we feel? And in my case, as a marriage and family therapist, how do we do relationships in a healthier way? Now, I don't know if it was supposed to say, is there a cure? There's not. There's not a cure for mental health disorders, right? Because why the world is chaotic. So we're, we're gonna feel depression, we're gonna feel anxiety, that's just a part of who we are. We just need to be able to manage that better. I hope that answers the question. Thank you. The next question is, how do I tell if I don't have mental health? Um, I'll kind of parlay off of what, what Luke said a little bit. It's kind of looking at what's kind of going on around us a little bit in terms of our relationships. Um, so if things kind of get out of whack, other areas of life are, are going to suffer a little bit. Um, maybe we're going to withdraw. Maybe we're going to isolate. Maybe when friends ask us to go and do things um, that we normally would enjoy, um, we, we decline. Um, maybe we start to engage in some risky behaviors that we normally wouldn't do. Um, otherwise, maybe our thoughts get kind of big and consuming and start to kind of run away there too or get really intense or our feelings become really big and unmanageable. Um, we're kind of looking at the school environment. Maybe our grades start to suffer and we we aren't turning in homework or completing things to the best of our ability anymore. Um, so when we're not taking care of our mental health, that spills out into other areas of life that become affected in a negative way. Why don't people like to say, I have mental health? <clears throat> so I'll jump in real quick. So to give you, um, a, a different word here. So some places you'll read, it won't say mental health, it'll talk about behavioral health. So most often, if you call an insurance company, 
um, and you want to find out what your benefits are, you'll get this list of options, and it'll talk about behavioral health. Do you have a behavioral health problem? So um, the literature and the writing kind of uses those terms. I personally think that they're intertwined. So <coughs> one reason for the move is, is that mental health in and of itself carries a stigma. Right now, if you were to think of mental health, just like in a snap, what picture do you have in your mind? More than likely, you know, you, you have something that would have some deficit quality to it. So the move is, is to kind of talk more, um, you know, using different language like behavioral health, so then we kind of detach all these things that we have in our minds that equate mental health. So that would be one. Second is, <coughs> is that when we talk about mental health, it can be just a bit vague. You know, I mean, it, 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 it has this, you know, kind of, of um, I don't know, kind of nebulous kind of quality to it, right? It's kind of hard to tack down. But if we talk about behavioral health, well, then we can actually begin listing certain things. So if I'm depressed, well, behaviorally, what is that going to look like? Well, we can all think of behaviors of what depression look like. So something to think about is, is when you think about your mental health, you know, just, you know, maybe checking in terms of, well, what, do, what has my behavior been like? What is my behavioral health? And then that can kind of lead you into that, you know, into that area when you have that dialogue with yourself. So it's just a, an alternative. Do hormones make mental illness worse? All right, this one's mine. <laughs> um, so hormones. So the first thing that was coming kind of, again, I feel like this is great because we all have different, like, perspectives. But we're all, like, on the same page of mental health like all of you guys like when you think of mental health what do you think of I bet we thought of a lot of different things when I was your age I was diagnosed with bipolar depression anxiety I had like a trauma thing at one point so like there's been a lot of things that I'm like when I think of mental illness I'm like I'm not sure I like uh, understand the differences of you know all these different people and that's just being run honest right hormones are a big deal those are the chemicals and the hormones that run throughout our body and our, and our nervous system. All of it's so interconnected so that, like, the biological, you know, that mind-body-soul connection is so there. Um, and, and so when I think about hormones, I think much, okay, so your phone, right? Like, it works off of what? Electricity. It has a battery. You have to charge it. Our body has all of these hormones, all of these chemicals, dopamine and serotonins and um, cortisol that are running throughout our body. And so does it make it worse? I don't think God would create us to have something terrible within us. So I don't think hormones were created to be a bad thing and to make our life worse. I do think the more we understand them, the better we'll be able to manage them. And I would say that they do intensify the feelings in our nervous system. They do intensify the way that we might emotionally are that those feelings that we have. And so when, you know, cortisol is running throughout our body, that's like the stress hormone and it's all over and we might store it in areas of our body and get sore neck and, um, and have a stomach ache or, you know, there's so many of those behavioral things that begin to happen um, because of the chemicals and things that run throughout us. Or if you don't, it's serotonin, like a lot of it is stored in actually our gut. So if we're not eating well, serotonin is like kind of like that happy chemical that like is really important to our well-being and feeling joy and happiness well if we're not eating well if the serotonin's not flowing well then really that's not helping us so again kind of the chemical and hormone balance in our body is important and so i don't think it intensifies it it just helps us understand like we're gonna have a lot of different things we feel 
at a lot of different times. I'm sweating up here because I'm nervous, <laughs> okay? That is my body telling me, like, hey, you're feeling nervous. You've got a lot of, you know, different chemicals running throughout your body, and I can show for that. So I wore two shirts. So <laughs> I knew I'd feel that way. I was planning ahead for that. And so you learn to manage after you get to know your body a little bit better and how emotionally you'll feel and how what chemicals you can anticipate are going to be running throughout your body. So that's what I think about hormones. <laughs> Thank you for being so honest, Naomi. Um, how can you make mental health a normal topic to talk about with your friends? I think you probably already do that. <laughs> you do that when you say how you doing, then you really mean how you doing. You're not just doing a social platitude. How are you doing? And then you listen to how they're doing. So uh, you know, you probably already do that. You go home, I don't know, from wherever you're at, and your parents say how you doing. You tell them how you're doing. So, so to practice it, it would actually just be telling the truth. That's it. Tell the truth. Good answer. Why do people have anxiety? I'll, I'll take this one, and I th actually I think this is. I'm just kidding. Anxiety, right? So <laughs> Naomi said it best. Serious. Right? There's a reason I. I know, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's a re there's a reason I'm wearing a jacket sweater too. Uh, okay, just for a moment. If I ask you to shout out, uh, what's another word for anxiety? What would it be? Fear, worry, stress. stress, anything else? Overstimulation, nervous, any more? Oh, come on. How about one that starts with a U? Up. <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah, your response system goes up, okay. How about uncertainty? Uncertainty. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody's wondering what the U word is. Uh, <laughs> got y'all. Uh, okay, so anxiety, uncertainty, fear, worry. Yeah, all of those fit with anxiety. And when we talk about uh, anxiety, every single person in here knows what anxiety feels like. I don't, I don't really care how calm you think you are. You, at some point, have felt anxiety. If nothing else, it was before a test. Okay? Anxiety... Uh, does serve a purpose for us when it's managed well. Okay, so if, you're, if you know you're going to be taking a test in a couple of days, that little anxious part of you might be like, hmm, I should probably study. What happens if you get too anxious about it? You don't study. You avoid it, right? Now, this generation, it's probably like Instagram or uh, what's the Snapchat, Reddit, yeah. Snapchat, right? We, we just, we're just going to avoid it. Okay. Anxiety, uh, we know that anxiety causes your nervous system to shoot up. One of the chemicals that Naomi had talked about was cortisol. When you're feeling anxious in your brain, it gets your body going too, and it starts to release cortisol into your body, and your, your sympathetic system kicks in, in, your, in, which means now you're starting to shake or sweat, right? Why? Your body is preparing for something that it's afraid of. When we talk about anxiety, there's always a threat that's happening. If it's a test, what's the threat? Failing the test. Yeah, what's the worst thing that could happen if you fail the test? Boy, I mean, I don't want to know, because I don't, don't want to know what your parents do. All right, uh, yeah. Uh, 
but there's always a threat that comes before anxiety. Anxiety is about uncertainty. It's about a fear of the future. It's typically about what could happen. When we say depression is almost always related to what has happened, right? So depression is about maybe regrets or things that have happened. Anxiety we tend to see as something that is going to happen or could happen, and we see it as a threat. Back to the bear example, right? When I'm walking out to my deer stand, I'm always wondering, is there a bear around here somewhere? Right? Why? Because uh, my experience with a bear. And so anxiety does serve a purpose in protecting us, but too much of, a, too much of it gets our system going too much. Right? So how many knows what a panic attack is? Or a panic episode? Wow, look at that. Because you've all had one? <laughs> a higher form of anxiety where you're physical body now starts to react to the anxiety. Now, remember that when we talk about anxiety, the threat can be external, but it can also be internal. Your own mind, your own thoughts, right? So back to what mental health is again, and even the behavioral health, right? If I'm feeling anxious and I'm having anxious thoughts, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to go hide, I might go do something that's unhealthy to try to cope with it, Right, so anxiety, why people have anxiety? Well, quite frankly, because the world is chaos. And we all just wanna feel safe and we all just wanna feel secure. And so anxiety is something that thinks it needs to come up to protect us. Does that make sense? Yeah. What is a good way to deal with grief and pain when you are alone? <clears throat> so first step would be that recognizing that grief and pain are not problems. They're human responses. And it's a response that we all share in our common humanity. So that would be the first and most important part is it's not a problem. And given that it's not a problem, it doesn't need to be fixed. What does need to happen is, is that how do you bring comfort to it? So really the quickest way, I mean, it's just like that quick. If I were to ask you, if your friend were, you walked into your friend's room and they were sad, right? They were you know, grieving, what would you do? Most people would saddle up beside them, hug them. They'd be really warm and really gentle. It's what you do with yourself. You do that exact same thing to yourself. So the quick, you know, it's like the quick dirty trick. How would I do, what would I do with my friend right now if they were here? Okay, then you go do that with yourself. Now, you know, you can, you, you could hug yourself, right? But what you could do, you know, you could get like your favorite, you know, pair of pajamas on. You could get a warm blanket. You could find your favorite chair in the house. Maybe you like to, I don't know, you, you drink tea, you drink soda, you have a favorite song. You comfort yourself because that's what sad and grief need. They need comfort. They don't need How long does grief last? Um, I'll, I'll respond to that one. Um, and maybe talk a little bit about some personal experience here. So our family um, kind of sustained a pretty significant loss about six years ago. Um, so, so we walked through that, that process. Um, I don't know that it's something that you can necessarily put an end date on. It changes. So grief, um, 
and I love what Steve said in like grief and pain is normal. You know, it's it's not a problem. It's something that we should experience when we when we experience a significant loss in a different way, whatever that loss may be. You know, if it's if it's the loss of somebody through death, if it's the end of a relationship, if it's a lost opportunity, um, maybe it's a move or some sort of a a change that's that's causing some sort of a loss where we experience significant sadness and despair and pain. Um, those are those are the experiences or the feelings that that we have in response to the loss. So so how long does it last? Um, well, that can be that can be different for everybody. Um, it can be dependent upon, you know, maybe maybe what it is that was lost in life. Um, maybe it's something that's really intense for a short period of time or for a longer period of time. Maybe it's something that kind of comes in waves. You know, it's pretty intense for a few days or for a month or for, for a longer period, and then it kind of subsides a little bit. And maybe um, we have an experience that reminds us of, maybe a place we used to live one day um, where we moved away from or, or a friend that, that's no longer here, well, then it's gonna come back and it might be pretty intense for a little while, um, but it'll, it'll subside and, and there'll be days when it'll come back again. Um, it gets to be a problem when it kind of lasts for an extended period of time and again, kind of starts to spill into other areas of life, but then it comes back to kind of how do we manage it you know, what do we do to cope with it? So what can you say to someone who is grieving? Uh, just to add a little bit, kind of going off of what Steve had shared and what Bridget had shared, uh, I would say probably one of the most common questions I get when somebody comes in and I can tell that they're grieving is how long is this going to last? Or what are the steps I need to go through? Right. And, and, and just to be able to give them permission and say, it's okay that you're grieving and we don't have to fix this. So that, I just love that answer. Uh, well, I heard it, uh, I think it was in a movie, and I can't remember what the name of the movie is off the top of my head, but I heard it described one time as a brick in your pocket. Anybody else ever heard that? Grief is a brick in your pocket. Oh, great. New information. Okay. A brick in your pocket, meaning that you're holding this grief and it's rigid and it's sharp and it's heavy. Nobody likes it, but they put it in their pocket and it's just really uncomfortable. And every time you kind of turn around, it jabs you in the thigh. Anybody in here ever lost their, their glasses or their keys and then realize they're in their pocket or on their head, right? Yeah, grief is kind of like that, where as you're working through it, eventually that brick gets lighter and lighter and you, you're just recognizing it's there, but it's not, as, it's not as heavy, it's not as rigid. And then eventually one day you just recognize like, okay, I think I'm, I'm good with this. And acceptance doesn't mean I'm done grieving. It just means I'm ready to sort of reinvest and reinvent in myself. Like, what, what is this going to look like? What does the world look like without this person, without this job, without this animal? And then eventually something happens where you stick your hand back in the pocket and you're like, oh, that's right. That brick is still there. So, so grief is one of those really interesting things that it's really not about getting to the destination it's about what are you learning about yourself and life? What is it that you're learning about your faith? What does God say about you in this process as you're grieving? What is it that you can learn, right? I want to read real quick. Uh, there's a quote that I love uh, from uh, C.S. Lewis. 
in a book that he wrote called A Grief Observed. Does everybody in here know who C.S. Lewis is? Do they still read that in school? I don't even know. Okay. Probably not. It's probably been taken out. Okay. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I am not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. There is a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting, yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty, if only they would talk to one another and not to me. I will say that when we talk about what we can say to somebody when they're grieving, sometimes the most powerful words you can say is, it's okay, and I'm here. If we let our own anxiety, we talked about anxiety, if we let our own anxiety get in the way, sometimes we say too much. When really just silence and being present with somebody is what they need. Allow them to just express whatever they need to express, whatever they need to say, and just being there with them. Letting them know that they're not alone. That's sometimes the most powerful thing you can do with somebody who's grieving. Unless they ask you. Right? And then you maybe can respond to them. But that, that's what I've found in all the work that I've done. Sometimes just sitting in silence is uh, the most productive. How can I stay calm in tough situations? Regulate your emotions. That's all you have to do. <laughs> so, so again, okay, so, so the quick and dirty trick, the quick and dirty trick is you ask yourself, can I be with this? Right? You just kind of, some people will use language like you drop into yourself, right? Drop into yourself means you get out of your head, you get out of your thoughts, right? So you stop overthinking, stop overanalyzing how bad it is, right? All this other kind of stuff. And what you do is, is you focus your attention on can I be with this? Because right at that moment, what the urge is, is more than likely you want to skedaddle, you want to get out of there. But if we can just get this pause, right, and that's what it is, can I be with this brings us to this pause. When we pause, and once that pause comes, right, then our emotions actually do downregulate. And when our emotions downregulate, because remember emotions happen in the back of the head, higher thinking in the front, our emotions go down, then we can get to higher level thinking and then determine what action is needed here. But the quick trick is, is can I be with this? I love that, and I think like that is so, like when I saw this question, I'm like, how can I stay calm in tough situation? I'm like, well, that, you know, tough situations all look very different, and again, our emotions and what we're feeling is just an indicator. Like if you're not calm, like what are you? You know, like that's what I was like, okay, well, if they're not calm, like are they mad? Are they outraged? Are they sad? Like, what is it that they're experiencing that they're not able to sit with? And so calmness, and for me, that reminded me of peace. Like, is it really that I just, like, need the p peace of God to overcome me in this moment to sit with whatever I'm in? So if I am, over, like, if I feel like grief is, like, among me, or if I feel like anger is among me, like, can I be overcome by the peace of God and sit with what I'm in um, to figure out what I can do in this tough situation? Because is it that, like, I need to, like, have a tough conversation, and do I need to be firm and kind and can I do that with peace right knowing that it's the right thing or is it like I'm ready to spaz out and punch somebody so I need to like go move my body and sweat some of this out like calmness is not something my body can find right now but I'm gonna find peace in what I'm feeling and then go do something that's gonna like like release what's going on inside and so I think that 
yeah, just being able to sit with that and be overcome by the peace of God so that you can find that calmness in him to figure out what is the next step that I need to take um, for my body, for my mind, for my soul, and that emotional part of me. If you are being picked on, how do you mentally process that? So when our kids <coughs> were little, um, there's this uh, book, and it was called So. And so the way the book went is, right, you know, something happens, some kid calls some kid's name, right? And the, the main character of the book would say so, right? And you know, go along, and they'd say so. And the idea of it is, is that, again, how you cope with, with being picked on is, is to really solidly know Right, so this is kind of like you know you're in the in the boat and the waves are crashing around you, you know you're going to make it to shore. So solidly knowing who you are and whose you are, because you will be picked on. I mean, I get picked on, and I'm old. <laughs> Though you know, I mean, to me at this point in my life, and maybe it is by maybe the fact that I'm old, I'm kind of like, okay, whatever. I mean, I'm old, so you know. So that would be something, you know, the, the key is, is really knowing whose you are and who you are and that you are going to get picked on, though it doesn't make it so. Because here's the thing, right? More recently, this is what I've been thinking. What I've been thinking is, is that someone could come up to me and they could say, you know, those are the greatest red pants. They're fabulous. Someone else could come up and they'd say, oh, my gosh. What are you doing? You're old. Take those. Why you shouldn't be wearing those pants? Well, here's the thing. Both of those represent thoughts. Right? They're both just simply thoughts. The difference is is that I prefer one thought over the other. They're still thoughts though. I prefer one over the other. But if I can focus in, look, they're just thoughts, and I happen to like one more than the other. They're really, at the end of the day, they're both the same. They're thoughts. So that, again, is I, I believe is something you know that's really important is, is really taking hold of this idea that, okay, you know, they're teasing me. They're you know doing whatever it is they're doing over there, though it doesn't represent a reality. It simply represents either a thought or whatever right they're doing. So that's what I would advocate. Can I add to that real quick? Can I add to that? I'm gonna, okay, so I want to piggyback off a little bit. As human beings, we live like 90% of our time in this world out here. And so kind of piggybacking off of what Steve said, when you have a, a stronger idea of, of your value, of who you are, outside of what this world tells you, because really, isn't that what our faith tells us, that no matter what's happening out here, that we have value no matter what? And so as you have a stronger sense of value, no matter what, then for me, the word that comes to mind is empathy. So when I think of this, I think of uh, empathy. Anybody know what, what the word empathy means? Close. I'd call that sympathy. You're close, really close. Instead of being able to feel them, understand them. Right, like I can understand what you're feeling. I can understand why you might do that or what's going on for you. For me, when I have empathy for other people, in order to be able to have empathy for why that person is saying that to me, why their reality, their thought, or their belief is that way, 
that helps me recognize that it's really not about me when they say those things. Right? So sometimes having that, just that core of who God says you are is really important uh, to be able to have empathy for somebody else. And then that helps you uh, respond in a way that's healthy rather than just react in a way that may not be healthy. Right? What do you do when you are bored and you don't know what to live for and don't have a reason for living or are scared and don't know how to live? Um, I'll kind of try and address this question, but certainly if other people have thoughts, you know, to chime in, I definitely would welcome that. Um, so when I first read this, there's just a lot that comes to my mind when I hear this is, you know, first we're talking about boredom. Um, what, what are we filling our time with and what do we need to do? Um, what can we do when we, when we don't have anything to do? Um, I don't know what to live for and I don't have a reason for living. So maybe that's about purpose. Um, and then I'm scared and don't know how to live. So I wasn't quite sure, you know, who, how this commission, this question was submitted and, and kind of what, what the, the individual was going for. So my daughter and I talked a little bit about it and kind of broke it down into some of those different, different topics like boredom, purpose, meaning in life, and um, maybe are we having some thoughts of, of ending life? Um, what do we do when we're bored? Uh, I remember going to my mom many a time when I was young, like, Mom, I'm really bored. And she would find something for me to do really fast. Um, so maybe when we don't know what to do, we just kind of pour into the lives of others, you know, service. Um, find a hobby. You know, you guys are in a great time of life right now because you're young and we don't have jobs yet necessarily. We're not um, responsible for, for earning an income right now. Um, that's kind of an assumption I'm making. We've got other protective people that are kind of helping us make our way so we can experiment with different kinds of activities and kind of find what, what gives us purpose and meaning and drive. Um, maybe we sign up for a club. Maybe we, we take on a new craft or a new hobby or just try something different. Experiment. If we don't like it, then try something else out, you know, until you find something that sticks and that you feel really passionate about. Um, purpose in life. I kind of kind of go back to that spiritual piece, you know, who who did God create us to be and and what are we here for and how is he he guiding us? Um, what 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 doors is he putting in in our walk and in our way to kind of open and to 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 move through to create meaning and to kind of glorify him. Um and then, you know, kind of going, going to the end of that, that question, like, I don't know how to live and I'm scared. Is that, is that an anxiety piece or is that a piece where we really need help and we need to get somebody else involved? Like maybe talking with our parents or an, another trusted adult if that's not a safe place for us. Um, maybe it's a youth group leader. Maybe it's your school counselor. Um, maybe it's maybe it's somebody like you know one of us sitting up here um, or another trusted adult that's in your life who can help you with whatever it is that you might be afraid of. Yeah, I want to add to that a little bit. First and foremost, just to validate that almost all of us have had, have been at this point at least once in our life, 
where we felt bored, where we were questioning, what is my purpose? What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? And so this question isn't necessarily uh, an odd question. It's actually a very normal question for us. And I think it comes down to, you know, how do we want to answer it? And where are we going to go to find some resources to answer it? When, when I have clients that, that come in that are feeling majorly depressed, almost always one of the first things we work on is how do you do some volunteer work? Like, what would that look like? If you could go volunteer somewhere, what would that be? And they're kind of like, well, wait a minute. I'm depressed. I don't want to go volunteer. I'm like, I know. Let's, let's try to set a plan up. How are you going to be able to go volunteer? Because it's really about getting mind off of self for at least a small period of time. Right, to, to provide some distraction, and, and then you, you get to start to feel this sense of belonging, of purpose. How many here volunteer in church in some way or another? Do you enjoy it most of the time? Yeah. You, you, you start to feel like you belong to something, something bigger than you. And that really is, I mean, for all of us, that's a big question. Like, what is my purpose here? How do I belong to something bigger? And so for me, it's not just uh, about asking those questions, but let's find something to do with them. How, do, how, do we, how can we answer those by doing as well? Uh, but that's a real question, I think, for a lot of us. So I just wanted to validate that. I'm just gonna really quick, <coughs> so my, I'm just gonna make the assumption that that question, whoever asked that question, they've had some experience with that question. Um, and so to speak more personally to whoever asked that question, I would say that the first step I personally would advocate is, is that I don't believe you're bored. I believe that actually there's something else that comes first. So you can kind of think of a chain of events, right? You know, like you have a little line here and it ends down here with, geez, you know, life's not worth living and I just don't want to be alive. That's where it ends. So it starts somewhere over here, right? Way before that. And my thought is, is that most often when people talk about boards, at least, you know, in my experiences, is they're really not talking about, oh, my gosh, I just have nothing to do. No, they're really talking about emotions that are painful, and they don't know what to do with them. Most often they don't know the language to use for it. They don't know how to tell others about it because they don't have the words to describe it. Um, so board typically has some quality of, shut down, right? I'm just gonna, you know, if you can kind of think of it, I've turned the light switch off. So there would be things that would happen before that. So I would, you know, if there's a personal question to this, I would really encourage you to make the first step in terms of really getting clear about what emotions and thoughts are happening before you call it bored. All right, next question. How can I be kind to myself? So I think, hmm. so when I think of, okay, how can I be kind to myself? Maybe I'm not being kind to myself. So I don't know if that's the like negative self-talk or maybe the things I'm saying to myself and I want to change that dialogue. Um, thoughts are thoughts, they come and go. And so I don't like to give a lot of power to all of them. But if you're having a high frequency of negative self-talk, that is going to start to impact you. So I think like how do I be kind to myself is like how do I look at myself through the eyes of Jesus? How do I look through myself through the eyes of God and the Holy Spirit? And what what is what does God say about me? Um, because I think without truth, um, this world and people around you are going to tell you a lot of things, and you're going to tell yourself a lot of things, and those aren't a lot of them won't be true. 
some of them will be. And so I think having that foundation of like, how can I be kind to myself? I can see myself um, as God sees me, as a child of him, somebody who is loved, um, somebody with purpose. God says that he's given us purpose. And so I think kindness first comes through this mindset that I can look at myself through the view of, of God and, and him being my creator and him knowing me fully and completely. Um, and so that's where I, I would start, and I think everything will flow from there. So there's really <coughs> a great researcher. Her name's Kristen Neff, and you can find um, her information. She posts it all free online, and it's selfcompassion.org. So Kristen Neff, um, she writes that self-esteem is not a viable concept because in the West, our self-esteem is attached to what we do. It's just how it's been done, right? So, so you know, if we've had a good day because we've done something well, well then my self-esteem goes up, right? So what she talks about, she talks about self-compassion as the alternative. So how we can be nice to ourselves is actually be compassionate to ourselves. And the way we're compassionate to ourselves is, is that we embrace the full spectrum of our humanity. So, you know, I mean, it's recognizing that we have days where, you know, we just, I don't know, things just don't go well. We're down, we were irritated. And being able to have self-compassion, there's days where, you know, maybe we don't perform as well as what we do. Being able to have self-compassion. Self-compassion is embracing the full spectrum of our humanity. So, that what I would say, that's the way to be kind to yourself is, is to have compassion for yourself. Is it bad that I have thoughts about hurting myself? Okay, so I, um, I'm going to answer this one because I, um, when I was a teenager, I, uh, I cut. That was like one of a compulsive habit that I had. Um, I also, and I'm just being real with you guys because that's like, let's be real, right? <laughs> um, I'm like, haven't done that in probably, let's see, over 15 years now. Um, but there was a point in my life that I was hurting myself, and I also went through three suicide attempts. And so um, when I think about hurting myself, I'm like, yeah, that's real. And those are real thoughts um, that people in this room have had. Um, and some of you have responded and behaved on those thoughts that you have had because of experiences, because of things you have felt, um, and because at that moment, that's, th that's the behavior that you chose in that moment to do or have been thinking about or, or what have you. And so um, I like to take that word bad out of there. That one bothers me. I don't like it. Is this a bad, is it bad that I have this thought? I like to think like it's not healthy. Like I, when I think of the good versus bad, I'm like, let's just go into like what's healthy and what's not healthy. And also like embracing our full humanity. We have all these thoughts. And sometimes there's going to be like a hundred of these thoughts and like five of these ones. And maybe like those hundred aren't leaving and they're poking up, but we need like 700 of these other thoughts that are going to outweigh those. So maybe you need to grow your thought life not change it like completely. Maybe you need to pull some of those weeds out so that they will start to dissipate and go. Um, but I do think like for on my personal journey, it was like, okay, I had to get to the root of the issue. What is causing me to get to this place? How can I work through that? How can I work through those trauma? How can I work through the pain and the suffering or whatever is going on for you that is bringing you and being open and vulnerable and authentic with the people around you? Because that's the support system that you're gonna need. If you're having these thoughts, I'm not as concerned about you having the thought as I'm like, 
what's bringing me to the place of having these thoughts, what's going on or has been going on or did happen um, that is bringing you to this place. Because I think working through that will get you to a place that you can regulate your thoughts better. You can have thoughts that are going to be healthy. Um, and, and the last thing I would want is anyone having those thoughts to feel like that shame of like, I'm so bad. I can't believe I have this thought about myself or, oh, the thought about like killing myself. Like, oh, like that shame. Like, no, that is what Satan will do to destroy you. But God has overcome you with his peace, with his love, with his freedom. And there's people around you who can love you and walk with you through that. And so I just beg you, don't walk that alone. Um, if you're in that place and with any of the stuff, it's like, oh, be together in community. God created us in community. And so, um, yeah, be aware of your thoughts. Don't suppress them and, like, push them through, like, all the time. But just be aware. Like, okay, I'm having that thought. All right, I'm gonna, it's like a cloud that's just gone by. Y you know, that wasn't a healthy one. Okay, great, on to the next one. But if there is a frequency, there is an increase, if it's leading you to behaviors, that's where you need to have a little bit more of a that yep that red flag of like okay this I I need to address this. How are we on time, Amanda? Okay, great. Um, how can I best help someone that is having a hard time? It would depend on what the hard time is. <laughs> so what comes to my mind <coughs> first is, is it, um, you know, doing lots of, I mean, doing listening. Um, and if you, <coughs> if you're able to clarify what the problem is that you can help them with, you can help them with it, by all means, you would help them with it, right? I mean, if I can't change my tire, I'm going to go find someone that's going to help me change my tire. If I can change my tire, I'll change my tire. So, you know, we, we, you know, help each other. So seeking for help, if you can't help them, then you'd find somebody that can help them. So you really would want to get clear on what the problem is. Because without clear problem definition, then you're not going to know what, what you need to do solution-wise. So if somebody says, I feel bad, well, that doesn't really give you much information, does it? I mean, does it mean you have a stomach ache? Does that mean that you feel guilty? Does that mean that you're sad? So you really want to get clear on what the problem is that they're having, so then you can best determine what needs to happen next. And kind of going off of that or adding to it, what are some ways to help a friend with depression? say um, walk with them like the abandonment is uh, I think a big thing for you know for not a big thing for everyone but I think that there is a fear of you know when they're in this depressed place that people will leave them or like be there they might be having a lot of thoughts that are unhealthy you know and it's like can you pour into them love them um, speak truth over them pray for them be in their presence commit to them you know to be there um, ask them, how can I help you? Like, if it, you know, if they're feeling depressed, like, let's get a full meal so we can, like, you know, our body can be nourished and have a conversation, you know, or do something fun with them to help them cope. And, and, and I think sometimes there's, like, I, I mean, I think that it can be, like, oh, we're depressed, 
Well, that doesn't mean that there's not moments of joy, right? Like throughout the day that can happen, even though you might be depressed or there, you know, depression, that's such a, the length of time you're feeling depressed or how often you're feeling depressed is going to differ. And so, but I think if somebody is in a state of depression that has been going on and, and they're having a hard time and that just like sticking with them, they may not be there forever. Again, like I told you, I've been in places where times where I feel depressed and times that I don't. I was diagnosed with it for a long time, but I like I wouldn't meet criteria for it anymore. Um, I'm not there. Do I still have times that I'm lonely and sad? Yeah, absolutely. And I have my people, and that's who I depend on. So be a friend. Just be there. And, and I would say just don't leave them in that. Yeah. And if you feel like it's unhealthy, like encourage them to talk to somebody else, you know, like their parents and their trusted adult, like we said. You know, if it's something they're just sharing with you and you feel the weight of, like, I have all this information and this is a lot for me to bear, then make sure that you're not, you know, carrying that alone either. Like, share the weight with community and with the people around you. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. We're going to wrap up. Thank you so much to all four of you for being here. We appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to be here. You guys are dismissed to your small groups where there will be a few questions for you to go over with your leaders.